This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the apostles established the church in Jerusalem. As they traveled from place to place, telling others about Jesus, their numbers multiplied and spread throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. This is the story of key believers mentioned in the book of Acts. In the nearby town of Joppa lived a believer named Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. Tabitha was known for doing kind things for others and helping the poor, until one day when she became ill and died. The other believers had heard that Peter was in Lydda, a town not far away, and so they sent for him, asking him to come as soon as possible. Peter asked the others to leave the room. When they had gone, he prayed over Tabitha and told her to get up. Her eyes opened and the others returned to find her alive. There was much rejoicing and the news spread all through the town. Time passed, and the apostles continued to spread the good news of Jesus throughout the land. As the church grew, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute the believers. He had the apostle James killed, and Peter thrown into prison. But before he could be tried, an angel of the Lord helped him to escape. Once freed, Peter went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many believers were gathered to pray for him. When Peter knocked at the door, A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer it. However, when she heard his voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back to the others. Rhoda excitedly told them that Peter was standing outside, but they thought that she was crazy or that it was an angel. As Peter continued to knock, the others joined Rhoda and opened the door. They were amazed and overjoyed that Peter was there, and he told them the story of his escape. The good news continued to spread and be multiplied as the Apostle Paul began his first missionary journey to Cyprus, Galatia, and Macedonia. While in Macedonia, Paul spent the Sabbath at a riverbank outside the city where he spoke to some women who were gathered there. One of these women was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. As she listened to Paul teach, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what he was saying. Lydia and her entire household were baptized and she invited Paul to stay in her home. Lydia continued to share the good news of Christ with the people of her town and eventually a church was established there. She also continued to host Paul whenever he came around. These women and other believers were essential to the growth of the early church. Their faithfulness helped the apostles continue their missionary work. Many churches were established throughout the region, and the good news spread to the ends of the earth.
Happy Labor Day. It's good to see you, and it's good to be gathered together. When I was a kid, about nine or ten years old, I, I turned to my mom on one of my birthdays because I had gotten another Susan B. Anthony coin. And uh, I had gotten Susan B. Anthony coins enough years at that moment to realize that there was a pattern that my great-grandma, at the time I called her great-grandma Kibler because in 1980, when she was 80 years old, she decided to get remarried again. Um, that was always fun to go to, that, that was fun to go to my great-grandmother's wedding. And, and uh, but she kept giving me Susan B. Anthony coins. And, and I said to my mom, I said, what's up with the Susan B. Anthony coin? And she, she turned to me and she said, well, <clears throat> your great-grandmother was born in 1900. And it wasn't until she was 20 years old, 1920, that the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was passed that gave women the right to vote. When she was 29 years old, she would become a single mother because her first husband would pass away. And with a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, my great-grandmother set out to farm for the next three or four years until the stuff of the Depression hit. And she sold the farm, and then she went into nursing. And the significance of that uh, amendment to the Constitution that gave her the right to vote, but also gave her rights to things like property, so affected and so changed her life that she wants you and your cousins to remember, to never forget, to really be glad and rejoice at the significance of that kind of event. So, for as long as she gave me birthday presents, it was Susan B. Anthony, silver dollars. And every now and again, when I'm in a bank, I'll ask for some of those in return, you know, because then I, I've got daughters of my own and sons of my own that I love to give those to. As we've been going through the stories of women in, in the Bible, I think you'll find that each of their stories is marked by something significant, just like my great-grandmother's story was, had something significant in it. For them, and, um, and even for my great-grandmother, she, she had her, her journey with God. God came close. God came really close. And in each of their stories, there's, there's things that are changed, things that are dramatically different. Today, we want to look at some of the stories that pop up out of the book of Acts, the book that Luke wrote to go along with his gospel that describes the early church in motion. The first woman we're going to turn to is a woman who has two names. Uh, she goes by Tabitha and Dorcas. I don't know if you ever had to read Russian writers when you were going to school somewhere along the way, but I discovered uh, in my 20s when I started to take up writers like Dostoevsky or Solzhenitsyn, that Russians love to use two or three names for a person, which is really hard when you're about halfway through the book and you finally realize that one character has three or four names. That's a hard reality to, to come to grips with. But Tabitha is a woman, Acts, Acts chapter 9, who's got two names because she lives in a town where there's a, a number of different ethnicities. There are people who are Roman in culture who live in the town. There are people who are Jewish in culture who live in the town. The town that today we would know as Tel Aviv. That's where she lives. And so she has names that 
that help her fit into both cultures, both worlds. And Tabitha, or Dorcas, is somebody who has known God, has probably seen Jesus's ministry. She's been shaped by the work of, of God in her own life. And one of the ways in which she expresses her followership, her discipleship of Jesus, is she expresses it through incredible generosity and compassion. Luke tells us that she especially takes care of and has an eye for the widow in her midst. And then Tabitha or Dorcas gets sick and she dies. Don't you? Uh, kudos to the creative team for their way in which they represent death on the screen, right? They, um, they do a great job. So she dies and, and the widows who are around Tabitha or Dorcas are, I mean, they have great grief. And so they hear that Peter's close by in a town that's just a couple hours walk away in Lydda. So they send him. Peter comes and Peter does something that he's watched Jesus do. You know, the mark of a disciple is to do something that you watch your master do. And so Jesus um, was called to a house one time and people were grieving around a young girl. And Jesus asked everyone who was grieving to leave and he spoke to her. And the girl got up and she lived. And so Peter goes into Tabitha's house and asks everyone who's grieving to leave. And unlike the words that Jesus says, because Jesus is God, and so Jesus could say, young girl, get up. Peter says to Tabitha, in the name of Jesus, get up. Because Jesus is really the source of life and the source of resurrection. And so Tabitha gets up and she comes out. And Luke says that as she came out... The widows who are weeping, now their songs turn into great joy. They rejoice at what is taking place. Incredible joy. John Wesley said, everybody was throwing a party in that moment, except for one person, except for Tabitha herself. Because just imagine what it would have been like to be in the presence of God Almighty in heaven and then suddenly be taken back to earth. The widows were happy. Tabitha continued to serve. So I was thinking about Tabitha's story. There's a couple of things that really stick out, strike me about her story. One of those things is that she lives in a, in a multicultural world. And she lives in a world in which people call her different names. And that's quite all right with her. Tabitha doesn't necessarily see multicultural Tabitha sees beyond the things that might divide, like one's ethnicity. And Tabitha tends to see people with the eyes of Christ, and she sees people who are in need. She sees the widows. And the widows come in all form or fashion. They come from all ethnicity. Tabitha sees people as God begins to see people, and she cares about people in that form and fashion. We, uh, we live in a world where it is very hard to see beyond ethnicity. We don't necessarily see people for all their gifts, their benefits, the places where they have need, but Tabitha does. And Tabitha sets before us a great example, something to strive for. Tabitha also does something else. Luke says that um, when Peter's there and the people who are gathered around Tabitha are talking about her, they bring out garments and they show Peter all of the kinds of garments that they 
have been making or that Tabitha has made. Um, there could be the suggestion there that Tabitha did all of the work herself. But there seems to be too much activity in that midst. There seems to be too much um, indication from Luke that Tabitha wasn't just somebody who made a lot of things and gave a lot of things away. But there seems to be an indication from Luke that Tabitha was somebody who hosted widows at her house. Widows who didn't have any capacity to earn. But that Tabitha began to bring them around herself and began to share things in which, and, and material in which they could create blankets and they could create coats. That Tabitha wasn't just somebody who, who saw and gave, but Tabitha was somebody who included and brought people to the table and said, hey, guess what? You may be a widow, but you can still do something with your, you can do something with your life. You may be a widow. You might not have capacity to earn, but you can earn in this place. I was thinking about Tabitha. I was reminded of, of a woman I met a year ago. Her name is Faith Fowler. Faith is a pastor in Detroit, Michigan. She's a, a pastor at Cass Community United Methodist Church. She went there about uh, 16 to 20 years ago. And Cass at the time was a, a downtown church in Detroit experiencing a lot of poverty. Starting in 1933, they've served over a million meals, kind of in a soup kitchen format, every year since then. They continue to do it today. So Faith, when she went to Cass Community, knew that she was walking into a, a tough place. And she is a, a woman who's Anglo, and she's walking into a church that's predominantly African-American. And so they said, I had to, to have a lot of courage my first Sunday going into that setting. And I was thinking about what this church had been giving itself to and what was out there. So she said, I was in the pulpit and I was preaching. I began to notice that everybody wasn't necessarily paying attention to what I was saying. And around the edges of the of the sanctuary, there was a woman who was, she was up and she was down, she was walking, she'd, she'd go out and then she'd come back in. And Faith said, I was nearing the end of the sermon, a place where there was gonna be a real pinnacle of, of my voice and everything else. It was just gonna all congeal together. She said, I'd played it out in my mind beforehand and I knew it was, was coming to that point when this woman who had been moving around and had left the sanctuary came back in and was about in the middle of the center aisle, they said, my voice was starting to rise up and all of a sudden this woman raised her arms and in one hand she had a spent toilet paper roll and this woman, she said, hey lady, there's no toilet paper in the restroom. And Faith said, everything I had been going for in that moment, in that instant, just died. So she said, I got down and I went and I got some toilet paper. But that call in the midst of that sermon was a pinnacle call in, in Faith's life. Because it began to show her what kind of world she was living in what kind of desperate need there was, who the people were that she would work with and live with, minister to. So Faith 
kept up the tradition there at Cass Community of serving meals to those who are homeless. Something inside of her says there has to be something like Tabitha going on here where we have to have fellowship with those who are around us, not just fellowship, but there are people in our midst who have skills. And so one of the beautiful things that's taken place in Detroit, at least it's beautiful in, in my eyes, is faith has found a way to take abandoned tires. They've, they've collected over 50,000 abandoned tires in Detroit, brought them in, taken, uh, taught people how to cut them up, and then they turn them into sandals and sell them online. If you want a good pair of sandals with a Detroit, almost Detroit Tiger D on the back, almost, uh, you can go online and get it. I know you probably don't want to do that if you're a Cardinals fan, but I would, um, anyway. I love the story of what's taking place there. Because faith is living out this reality of Tabitha, of the New Testament, of like saying, how do we include people? How do we draw people in? And how do we... How do we see them as God does and release their capacities? Here at Schweitzer, we, we've begun to do that in a number of ways. We've got the food pantry. We've got the coach house. We've got the neighborhood garden. We've got a number of things where we're engaging with people. And even as we have those elements in our midst, as we have those places to serve and, and to find a welcoming community, I think in my own heart, in my own mind, and, and maybe in yours too, I would just wonder if the Lord doesn't come alongside of us sometime and say, is there something more? Is there something deeper? Is there something more? Is there something deeper? Is there a way that there are people in your community that, that we're not empowering yet like Tabitha would empower them? And that's a, I hope that's a burden that the Lord gives all of us to wrestle with. So the next lady that we turn to, we go from Tabitha to, we go to Mary and Rhoda. That's it. We go from the sea, we go back to Jerusalem. After Peter encouraged uh, Tabitha, he went back to Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem was under pressure. This is a picture of Rhoda, the servant girl. Um, we didn't have a very good picture of Mary, so Rhoda gets the, the props here. But Mary and Rhoda are, are two women who live in the same house. Mary is the mother of, of John Mark, who will write the gospel, Mark, the gospel of Mark. And Mary has a big house in Jerusalem. And it's about Passover time, and Peter's been arrested. James, the brother of John, has already been arrested, and he, he's been beheaded. Herod Agrippa is on the warpath. There is this little cluster of Jesus followers who continue to talk about how Jesus was crucified and he was buried and then he was resurrected. And Herod Agrippa is not happy. Herod Agrippa rules Jerusalem with an iron fist and he has he's done his best to seek out those who are members of the way and put them in prison. And he's got Peter. Passover is coming up. He's expecting to put Peter on display similar to how he put Jesus on display and to be done with this movement forever. The church, the people who love Peter, they begin to scratch their heads. They know about James. They've buried James's body. They wonder, what are we going to do? Um, 
they're really at their last sense of their last hope and their last, their last um, the end of the rope. And Mary says, let's call a prayer meeting together. Meet at my house. We're going to pray. Some people look at the prayer gathering and say, you know, um, it's almost takes everything they've got just to gather. Because they don't have a whole lot of hope. They've seen what has happened. But they gather nonetheless in desperate times with, with almost little faith for what is going to happen to Peter. And then in that moment, in that instant, God works. I mean, first he's got to sort of wake Peter up. Peter actually thinks he's dreaming a little bit earlier on in the story. Uh, a couple angels come by Peter. They wake him up and they walk him out of the prison. And Peter's like, where am I? Is this a dream? He's got to pinch himself to realize it's not a dream. The Lord has heard their prayers and he's answering. And then Peter walks to Mary's house because it's a safe, it's a safe place. It's a place he knows that he can hide. And I don't even know, we don't even know if he knows that they're praying for him there. But he goes and he finds these people who are praying. Except they don't let him in. And I love what the guys did, the creative team did, with Peter on the, on the outside, knocking on the door, and then the argument on the inside. And I don't know if you always do this when you read Scripture, but you are supposed to laugh when you read Scripture. And you're supposed to laugh when you hear the crickets of Peter standing outside, waiting on people on the inside to just open the door. Uh, because God intends for us to laugh. You see, in, in dire circumstances sometimes, the best thing we can do is, is laugh. And God laughs, in, oftentimes, in what we think is dire. God sort of chuckles and he says, it's not as bad as you think. It's not as bad, or even if it is as bad as you think. I have a way. I have a way of working. I have a way of being present. And so Peter and Rhoda and the people in Mary's house, they have this very unique conversation, an argument, and you're just left there laughing as a reader, as somebody who encounters it. And you're meant to laugh. We're all meant to laugh. I've really appreciated this series of women in the Bible because the people who helped create it put a lot of laughter in it for us. Um, one of the scenes that they gave us from Jesus at the wedding in Cana of Galilee is of the bride and groom in a most unique way. I don't think I've ever seen the bride and groom like this. And I don't know if you can see it from back there, but um, the bride and groom are meant to give us a, a picture into our own world because that's like Popeye and Olive, okay? And you got Popeye with the... With the anchor on his arm, and, and Olive, and she's saying, where's the wine? Um, when we see that, we see it in relation to the stories of Jesus. We're really supposed to see a mirror. We're supposed to wonder, how is it that Jesus walks into the midst of our life? And when we've run out of things, we've run out of ourself, how is it that Jesus 
gives us a supply. Another scene that they gave to us in that, in that story was the, uh, the three stooges. Uh, I don't know what to, I, I, you just, I don't know what to say about that. But I love the reality that sometimes we play those parts too. And Jesus blesses us and Jesus will speak to us and Jesus asks to walk alongside of him. So that's part of the story about Mary and Rhoda is that there is just a great deal of laughter in their life. The other story that, the other piece of their story that just sticks out to me is this idea that they are willing to pursue God at midnight though they have no other hope. They don't know what else to do. And uh, we've talked already this morning about how the prayer word here at Schweitzer for the next month is pursue or pursuing. And I would just encourage encourage us and we are encouraged through the scriptures that when we come to a place where we even before we get to that place that we would pursue God we would pursue God in the morning and we would pursue God late at night we pursue God in the midst of the day because when we pursue God God has a way of showing up and doing things that we can't even think or imagine and things that at the end bring us a great deal of joy and laughter. The last person we want to talk to, talk about, is Lydia. Lydia is in Philippi, the city of Philippi, and Paul comes along and greets Lydia and others who are down at the river, who are gathered at the river to worship. Lydia is somebody who knows about God, but unlike the other women that we've talked about, she doesn't have the fullness of God present in her heart. She's been searching for God. Jake, this morning, um, reminded us of some words from Jeremiah, that if you seek me, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Lydia is, a, is in a place of seeking. And down at the river, Paul comes, and he begins to talk about the gospel. And the gospel is the story of Jesus, the full story of Jesus, about, God, how, about how God came and he lived in the midst of us, lived in the flesh, and about God, how God, um, in Christ, lived and he died and he was resurrected and then how he ascended and how he poured out the holy spirit and the holy spirit is the spirit of god that's available to all of us the holy spirit can live inside of us and that we don't have to just think about god or we don't have to just practice religious practices but we can be united with god be one with god and in that moment lydia says i have been seeking but I want to find. I have been seeking, but I want to be one with God. I want to be in Christ. And, and Luke tells us that the Lord, the Lord pours himself into Lydia's life. And Lydia's heart and her life is transformed in that instant. And she becomes this merchant person who then opens up her house and she becomes somebody who hosts the church in Philippi and builds into what God wants to do in the rest of the world. As we saw the map expand, it's, it expands because people like Lydia care about, about God and they follow after God and they begin to care about other people and love other people and God shows up and the gospel goes forth. In all of their stories, all three of those stories of those women, 
One of the key components that shows itself in each story is the component of joy. When Tabitha is raised up, there's joy. When Peter is finally welcomed into the room, there is great joy. And, and they laugh. They laugh at, their, at the event. When Lydia goes home and she begins to host the, the church at her house, there's joy. None of them have words that are recorded within the pages of Scripture. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, when God was at work in her own life, she couldn't help but sing. And Luke, Luke honored her song by writing it down. And this morning, I'd like for us to join our voices together in singing, or actually in saying, Mary's song. It's a song of joy. We're going to find it on the screen. And as it's on the screen, uh, I'm going to read the, the line that's not indented. And I'm going to invite you to read the indented line. And I'm going to invite you to read it in such a way that, well, could we stand together? See, you can't read something joyful seated. I suppose you can, but you don't, you don't get on your toes. And, and this is meant to be something that is said on our toes because it's joyful. And so uh, it's Mary's song. And Mary does invite us to sing along with her when we see God at work in our lives. So I'll begin. I'm bursting with God news. God took one good look at me and look what happened. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. His mercy flows in wave after wave. He bared his arm and showed his strength. He knocked tyrants off their high horses. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. It's exactly what he promised. Right up to now, right up to now, see God's mercies are piled high, not just in Mary's life, not just in the lives of the women of the Bible, but God's mercies are piled up high right up to now. 